If you have your Bibles, please turn to Hebrews chapter 4. We'll read the entire chapter. The thing about Hebrews is that you kind of have to take it in big passages like that because they are all hang together. You could pick out themes or something like that, but for a real understanding of the book, you really need to do larger sections at a time. And so we're doing chapter 4 today. Hebrews is an unusual book. We really don't know who wrote it. Uh, and we could spend lots of time debating about who wrote it, but since God didn't choose in His wisdom to let us know it, seems to be a waste of time for us to debate it as well. We really don't know where it was written to or who it was written to. It wasn't written to a particular church like Thessalonica or Ephesus or Corinth. Uh, most people believe that it was a, a more of a sermon than anything else. And so it's a pastor giving a, a word of exhortation to a congregation. And we know what the theme was. The theme was uh, don't leave Christ. Don't leave the gospel. This group of people he was writing to were Jewish Christians, uh, Jews who had come to see that Jesus was the Messiah and the Savior. And now that persecution had come and difficulties had come, they wanted to go back, go back to the Jewish uh, traditions they had. And what the writer of this epistle says is, don't go back because Jesus is better than anything you go back to. As a matter of fact, Jesus is the better priest than you're going to have. Jesus is the king that you're looking for. Jesus is a prophet that has spoken the true word, and you cannot go back. As you listen to me read Hebrews chapter 4, I want you to listen to for one word, and that's the word rest. Enter my rest. So listen to the word of God. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to fall short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value because those who heard it did not combine or mix it with faith. Now those who believed entered the rest just as God has said. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. And on the seventh day God rested from all his work. And again in the passage above he says, they shall never enter my rest. It still remains that some will enter that rest. And those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. Therefore, again, God set a certain day, calling it today with a long time later, he spoke through David as it was said before today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There still remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as from God, just as God did from His. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall away by following their example of disobedience. This is the word of God to God's people. <clears throat> Let's pray. Father, speak uh, through Your Word. Help us to understand rest. 
Help us not to disbelieve. Help us not to disobey. Help us not to harden. But make us hear, believe, trust, and obey. And live to the glory of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Probably the greatest quote outside the Bible is the quote that St. Augustine gave when he said, Thou movest us to delight in Thee. Thou hast formed us for Thyself, and our hearts are restless till they find their rest in Thee. Thou hast formed us for Thyself, and our hearts are restless till we find our rest in Thee. Augustine really was a restless person. He didn't know God, and he tried to find that soul's rest in all sorts of things. When he was 17, his father had already died, and he left home and went to Carthage. And when he got to Carthage, he got involved in all sorts of things. He got involved in philosophy and religion and fornication and the theater and things like that. And what he was trying to do, he was trying to use those things to fill his life with that satisfaction, contentment, and fulfillment, but, but nothing did it. You know, all that he tried to put in there. And so he tried to fill that void with that restlessness in his life with, with sex and with a relationship with a woman, not his wife, had a child. I think he lived with her about 17, 13 years, excuse me, 13 years. And then he kept wondering, you know, kept restlessly looking for the satisfaction in his life that was lacking. And he came under the preaching of Ambrose, thank goodness. And Ambrose kind of started planting seed in his heart. But then one day he was in his garden and he heard some kids singing, take up and read, take up and read. And he read a passage in Romans and he was converted. And the conversion was pretty drastic. He said something like this soon thereafter. Already my mind was free of the biting cares of place seeking, of desire for gain, of wallowing in self-indulgence, of scratching the itch of lust. And I was now talking with you, O oh Lord my God, my radiance, my wealth, and my salvation. What Augustine found was rest, and he found that rest in God. That's the only place you can find it. And what this passage is talking about is he's talking about how to find that rest and the danger of not finding it. So let's use this as our outline. One is the danger of missing rest. And the second thing is what is the rest? And the other one is how do we enter this rest? The danger of missing the rest. What is this rest and how to enter the rest? When the Bible talks about rest in Psalm 95, it talks about God saying, I promise in my anger they would never enter my rest. And he's referring to what he had started last week in Psalm 95. He started talking about how to respond to the Word of God. And when you respond to the Word of God in an unbelieving way and you harden your heart towards their promises... God says, you're not going to enter my rest. Well, that had a specific incident behind it. And that incident was in Numbers 13 and 14. In Numbers 13, Joshua, Caleb, and ten other spies went into the promised land. And they spied out what was there. They brought back grapes that were just huge, you know, pomegranates and all of these great things. And they came back with this great uh, 
report, at least Joshua and Caleb did. But the other people said, yeah, all of that's true, but in the cities there's Nephilim, there's fortified cities, and we can't take it. And so they didn't believe. They didn't believe the promises of God. They didn't believe that God could give them the promised land. And because they hardened their hearts against the things of God, God said, they will never enter my rest. And what the pastor is doing now is that I'm afraid that some of you are in the same exact place. That you have heard the good news, you have heard the gospel, you have heard that there's life in Jesus Christ and those who believe in Him live forever. There's satisfaction and joy in believing in Him. And you don't yet believe. And I'm afraid, he said, that some of you are going to fall away and never enter that promised land. The trouble was, they didn't mix what they heard with faith. They heard the gospel. They heard about the promised land and they didn't mix it with faith. Now, I don't know about you, but, you know, if you leave out the main ingredients, if you don't mix that in there, your whatever won't turn out very well. Sarah makes great uh, rolls and cinnamon rolls, as some of you know, but if she doesn't mix the yeast in there, or the live yeast in there, if she doesn't do that, then the thing doesn't rise. There's no, no goodness to it. You know, it's flat as a flitter, you know. Squatted to rise and got caught, caught on the squat, as my dad said. You know, they're just, just flat. And when you look at this, it says they didn't enter the promised land because they didn't believe. And then in verse 6, it says they didn't obey, they disobeyed. And so you have this contrast of did they enter, not enter because they didn't believe or they didn't enter because they disobeyed? And the answer is yes. They didn't believe and so they didn't obey. And the process is they hardened their hearts, they didn't believe, and because they didn't believe, they didn't obey. They didn't have faith. The danger of missing the rest that God offers you is that you don't have faith. What is faith? There are three elements to faith. Faith has knowledge, and faith has assent, and faith has volition or a willful obedience to it. That might not mean anything to you, but take it. Uh, James Montgomery Boyce uses this illustration. You might know a girl, and you're not married to her. You might love a girl, but you're not married to her. Until you ask her to marry you, and she says, yes, are you married? There's knowledge, there's assent, love, and then there's commitment. Or take it in a plane, you know, I... I never put all my weight down in a plane. Uh, but anyway, when you get on a plane, you say, okay, I know this plane. I know it. This is the safest mode of transportation. I know that. And I believe it's the safest mode. I believe these stats have not been finagled or transformed or uh, doctored with or anything. I, I assent to that. But I actually don't get to my destination till I trust it, till I put all of my weight on that plane till I get to my destination. That's exactly what the writer to Hebrews is saying. That unless you have knowledge, 
that you assent to, that you commit to, you don't have saving faith. And he's concerned that these people don't have faith mixed with what they believe. John Patton was a missionary in the New Hebrides, and he was translating the gospel into their language, and he had a hard time finding a word that would match our word for faith. He couldn't find it. And one day he was at the lodge or whatever, his house, and the hunters came back from their hunt and they he watched them. They threw themselves down in their chairs and they said, my, it's good to stretch out here and rest. Patton jumped to his feet and wrote the words down. They provided his translation for faith. By faith, the weary sinner stretches out to rest on Jesus Christ upheld by the gospel. We may substitute Patton's translation into various verses of the Bible. Stretch yourselves out on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever stretches out on Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And so what the writer is saying, the pastor is saying, is the reason that they didn't enter the rest of God is they didn't have faith. And I'm concerned, he says, that you don't have faith either. You've heard the gospel and you've not really trusted it. But what is this rest? What is the rest that's offered to us? It's mentioned 11 different times in this passage. When something is mentioned that many times, you have to realize that means it's important. That's like if you're taking an exam and you're looking over your notes and you might underline this is important. The next day you might highlight it and the next day you might underline it again and the next day you might circle it in red. This is important. And so 11 times he says rest, 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 rest. And our temptation is to take one example or one definition and apply it to every time it has rest in this passage. And that would be disastrous. The rest that's mentioned in this passage is nuanced. The meanings vary. Sometimes it talks about the rest, meaning the promised land. They'll not enter my rest. That's the promised land. Sometimes it says they'll not enter my rest, talking about God's rest of His work. Sometimes it means they'll not enter my rest, meaning heaven itself. Sometimes when they talk about not enter rest, they're talking about physically resting so what you have to do is you have to go through there and basically if you write in your bible you have to write what's he talking about in each time he mentions rest but i want you to focus on verse four it says somewhere it said that he rested from his works on the seventh day now think about that you've heard it your whole life god rested on the seventh day well why was he tired? Making a universe is not really easy, is it? You know? But he just spoke it into existence. Was he weary? Was he worn out? Was he... What was he? None of those. When God rested on the Sabbath, what he did was he, he looked at a world, a universe that he had made, and it was finished. His work of creation was over. And what he looked over was satisfaction. Was satisfaction. He declared it good. 
He declared it very good. It gave him delight. It made his soul sing. He was content. And so to be rested means that that, that feeling, that, that soul delight of being contented with what you've done. I get just a little bit of that when I cut the grass. You know, my sermon, it's never finished. You know, Clint always jokes that I get my pen out over here, you know, and start making that. It's never finished. I never look at my sermon and say, okay, I'm finished. I can, I can set that aside. But when I cut the yard and I look at it and I go, man, that's nice. You know, it doesn't look as good as when Josh cuts it. Josh trims it and weeds it and everything else. But I have this delight in what I've done. You've done that, haven't you? Finished a project, you know, turned in a paper, baked a cake, you know, made something, put the crop in, and you just have a sense of satisfaction and joy and contentment. But in the Christian life, do we ever finish anything? Do we ever have anything that we look at and say, man, that's good. I'm sure thankful for that. We do in the Lord Jesus Christ. What were his last words on the cross? It is finished. The work of atonement is over. I have come and lived and died and paid for your sin. It is finished. And on the Lord's day, we can sit back and we can look at the finished work of Christ and realize that we are not saved because of what we do, but because of what he did. His work. His perfect work. His atoning work. You know, when we... Enjoy the Sabbath. I don't think this passage is talking so much about the Sabbath. And if it is, it's talking about it as an emblem and a symbol pointing to the eternal Sabbath. But when we gather here together on the Lord's Day, we're saying several things. One is, we aren't sustained by our work. You know that there are farmers out here that I know that rest on the Lord's Day. And what they're saying is, I'm not sustained by my work. That I really trust that God has given a rhythm to life, and I'm sustained by God. And when we rest on the Lord's day, we're saying, I'm not identified by my work. It doesn't matter if I'm a, a janitor or a member of the junior league. It doesn't matter if I'm a lawyer or a lineman for the county. Isn't that a song somewhere? But anyway, it just doesn't matter. We remind ourselves that we're not saved by our works. We're saved by the work of Christ. But when Jesus was confronted with what rest meant, do you remember what he said? He says, Come unto me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest for your souls. For my burden is light and my yoke is easy. Jesus was talking about that satisfaction of the soul and the ones that were weary were those who were Pharisees that had spent their whole day and their whole life working to be right with God and now Jesus was saying come and rest in me rest in the finished work of Christ so that's what we're talking about a rest that rests in Christ a rest for eternity even but how do you enter that rest Almost every time it mentions rest, it talks about entering the rest. 
almost like rest is a realm. It's a place. It's a location. When they entered their rest, they did enter the land. When we enter our final rest, we do enter a place called heaven. When we, when we rest, we find our rest in Christ. So we do enter into this rest. C.S. Lewis said one time that he, the problem with beauty is we, not, we don't want to just see beauty. We want to be absorbed into beauty. We don't want to just see glory. We want to be in glory. And he said, we spend all our life on the outside, knocking on the door, but one day we're going to get in into the place where there's true and everlasting rest. But if you trust Jesus Christ, you have that rest even now. You have what the theologians call realized eschatology. That's a fancy word, isn't it? Realized eschatology. Eschatology is the end of days. What you are going to have when you, when you die or when Christ comes back, the end of the ages. But you have some of that now. And so one of these writers says this, this means that if you put your faith in the saving God, if you've trusted in the gospel of Christ, you can now rest. You can stop worrying about whether you have a place in heaven. You can stop fretting about what the world would do to you. You can stop fretting of whether you'll endure life as a Christian. You can face the prospect of loss of this life, suffering and even death, for God is the God of the Sabbath, who has established His purposes forever from the very beginning. Through faith in Him, you can now enter His rest. He says in this passage, strive to enter that rest. Strive to rest. Have any of you tried to be resting and not? Have you ever gone to bed tossing and turning, worrying, thinking, pondering, concerned, and you're trying hard to rest, but you cannot rest, can you? That's the reason the Bible says strive to enter this rest. It takes effort. To rest in Christ, doesn't it? Because our default, our default is that we rest in ourselves. We rest in our works. We rest in our church membership. But we're to rest in Christ and Christ alone. These Jewish people were thinking about leaving and going somewhere else. They were thinking about leaving the Christian faith and the gospel and going back to Judaism. And what the writer is telling them, there's no other place to go. Remember in the Chronicles of Narnia that Jill came to the waters and she wanted to drink those bubbling, clear crystal waters and Aslan was there, the lion was there and she was scared of him and she says, can, can you go away while I drink, you know? And, uh, of course, he only growled at that. And she said, well, if you won't go away, I'll go drink from another stream. And Aslan said, there is no other stream. That's what this writer is telling these people who are wanting to leave the Christian faith, wanting to leave the gospel. There's no other way. There's no other way. 
I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Can you rest? James Montgomery Boyce got a diagnosis years ago. Pancreatic cancer. He lived six weeks. He told his assistant, what I want to do is, as long as I have to live, I want to tie up some loose ends and finish some projects. And one day he says, I'm tired. It's time to, time to just lay my work down. And his assistant said, but what about all these loose ends that you have to tie up, that you want to tie up? I'll work faster. I'll help you more. And Boyce says, no, my work is over. I leave all my unfinished tasks in the hands of Christ, and I'll just rest. I'll just rest. Horatio Bonar wrote this hymn. I wish I'd have thought enough to use it as our closing hymn, but maybe we can do it another time. Bonar said this, I heard the voice of Jesus say, Come unto me and rest. Lay down, thou weary one, lay down your head upon my breast. I came to Jesus as I was, so weary, worn, and sad. I found in him a resting place, and he has made me glad. I heard the voice of Jesus say, Behold, I freely give. The living water thirsty one stoop down and drink and live. I came to Jesus and I drank of that life-giving stream. My thirst was quenched, my soul revived, and now I live in Him. I heard the voice of Jesus say, I am this dark world's light. Look unto me, thy morn shall rise, and all thy days be bright. I looked to Jesus and I found in Him my star, my sun, and in the light of life I walk till all my days are done. May you find true rest in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the offer of the gospel even to those in the wilderness. They heard the good news and didn't mix it with faith. We hear the gospel week after week. May we mix it with faith so that we might have true and saving faith. May we do it even today. And may we rest in him. And we give you all praise and thanks in the name of Jesus. Amen.